Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, and just uh, hold your spot there. And uh, while you're turning there, let me just take a moment to say thanks as well to our choir. Man, they uh, just every Sunday, you guys prepare and, and you lead us into praise and worship. And uh, you work hard for your hearts to be right and to, uh, to lead us well. And it just... I felt compelled to say today, thanks for everything you do. I mean, we're a stronger church <laughs> because you're here, definitely, and uh, Adam's leadership in that as well. Hebrews chapter 4, hold your spot there. We are continuing today in a series we started a few weeks ago uh, called Nuts and Bolts, and what we're looking at are the essential elements of a Christian life that doesn't just stri- you know, struggle to survive, but one that actually thrives, one that we would say is an effective Christian life. So we've been looking at different elements that make an effective Christian life. And, you know, it's not guaranteed. It, just because we, we come to Christ and lay down our sin and accept Him and trust Him and, and uh, become a Christian doesn't mean that we're going to have an effective Christian life. I mean, this world is, is filled with people who genuinely are going to heaven, but there's really not going to be much reward when they get there. And there's not a whole lot to point to while they were here to say that they made a difference. And that's just very sad. That's tragic. They, they know Jesus. They have a relationship in Christ, but could not say that they had an effective Christian life. We don't want to be that kind of a person. We want to live a life that's effective, not only for our own benefit, because we don't want to shortchange what God could do in us, but we also want to make a difference in this world where he's left us for this season till he calls us home. And so that's what we're looking at, nuts and bolts of an effective Christian life. So today we're going to add to the uh, few weeks we've already been through, and we're going to look at the topic of prayer specifically, the topic of prayer. Many of you remember, probably, I would assume, um, this was already in existence when I came around, but uh, many of you remember that when you would use the telephone at your house, there was something called a party line. Now, I know I may be identifying a few of you, but I'm going to let you identify yourself. How many of you remember party lines? Wow, this is a lot of people in here. Um, let me again say, I do not remember party lines. I'm not old enough. I'm not old as old as all you folks that just were just kidding. I know, I know, horrible way to start a message. But I've heard stories, right? And, and, and apparently the way party lines work were back in the days when, new, when telephones were somewhat new that you didn't have your own dedicated phone line, you had a party line. There were others that could be a part of that same particular phone line. And so when you would pick up that party line, it was not uncommon to hear other people on the line, right? And there may be someone who was using it, you needed them to finish so that you could access that line yourself. And so there was a bit of an inconvenience, but what I've also heard is that there was a certain amount of intrigue there because if you were good at it, you could pick up the line and listen to other people's conversations, right? And so there were no secrets really in the neighborhood because not only were you doing that, but I'm sure there were people doing the same thing to you probably as well. Well, remember that whenever phone line, or whenever phones came around, that what they started as is not the final product. There has been a gigantic evolution through the years of this thing called the telephone to the point to where what we have today is vastly different than where it started. Many of you remember when you were a kid, maybe you yourself or, or your mom or your dad had what was called, now this is a relic, a corded 
telephone. It actually had this thing called a phone cord attached to it that went from the, the, uh, the actual handpiece and, and, and settled there on the, on the handrest. And so uh, the, the longer phone cord you had, I guess the more wealthy you were, right? So some, maybe you were raised in just a, like a three, little three-foot phone cord. You had to stand right there by the actual wall where the phone was mounted. Then others of you were raised, I mean, really with a silver spoon. You had like a hundred-foot phone cord when you were growing up. And, and your mom or your dad could stand outside and do yard work while they were talking on the phone with that cord. Well, that would ultimately evolve as well. Oh, by the way, and you remember back in those days too, there was this thing called call waiting. Remember when call waiting came around? Man, oh man, you knew you were popular I'm sorry, I've got another call coming in. Click, and then you take the other call. You knew you had arrived when you had calls coming in in multiple units, right? And so that was all part of the corded phone. And so then things evolved, and there was this thing called the bag phone. How many of you had a bag phone? Any of you? All right. So I remember my brother, he was, he's all about kind of the gadgets and that kind of stuff. I remember distinctly um, playing golf with him one day years and years ago, and uh, he brought his bag phone to the golf course to put in the back of the golf cart which was kind of hilarious because, I mean, I guess it was just unnecessary in a sense. But you remember the bag phones. It, they weren't really easy. to. First of all, you're like hauling the things around. And then when you get a phone call, I mean, if you're playing golf, you're like, uh, you know, hold on, hold on. Reach in. Hello. <laughs> you know, it's not really comfortable to use necessarily. They, they were, they were kind of cumbersome. But still, you can take the phone anywhere. And that just really kick-started everything to the point to where now we've got cell phones and you know all flip phones that evolved into smartphones and and now to the point to where you can actually see people that you're talking to right there on your on your screen and some of you are tempted to even do that right now uh, probably and and that is sort of where we are but when you think about it regardless of whether it was a party line back in the day or whether it's you know video chat or whatever it is now it's all communication that's all it is it's very simple communication, even whether it's texting or, or, or talking audibly or, or video conferencing, whatever it is, it's all communication. And, and ultimately, what it does is, is it fosters fellowship, it fosters relationship to a degree. And one of the big knocks against texting whenever it first started, you know, a number of years ago, was that it's going to decrease uh, the ability to relate. And I don't know if it has or not, but it's still a form of communication and it still fosters relationship to some degree. When you look at prayer, what prayer does is that it's much the same to where prayer is a, is a mode of communication between us and the God of the universe. That the very same God who created everything that we see is the, and the very same God who came for us and died in the person of Jesus and rose again. The same God who calls us to do a relationship with him, ultimately the vehicle he uses to deepen that relationship is this thing called prayer. And the more we access prayer, the deeper our relationship is going to be. And I would even go so far as to say that if prayer is one of the weaker elements of your Christian life, if you say, you know what, I'm just one that seems like I've got a gift of faith, or I've got a gift to share my faith, or I just have a hunger and a thirst for God's Word, or, or I'm just an encourager, regardless of what else you do in the Christian life, if that component of prayer is weak... It is so vitally important, it is so much of a part of the nuts and bolts of an effective Christian life that if your prayer life is weak, it should not be a surprise then to have to, to, to own the fact that perhaps your Christian life is also weak as well. It is that important. Think about how strong your marriage would be if there was never communication. Think about how strong your relationship with your kids would be or your grandkids would be if there was never communication. They'd be very, very weak. Imagine how much behind the curve you'd be running in the workplace if you never had communication with your supervisor or with your peers in the workplace. You would constantly be running behind the curve. You wouldn't have any effectiveness in the workplace. It is the same way 
with prayer. And when we think about a close relationship with God and having deep fellowship with God, this component of prayer has to be there. Now, there are typically two problems, very simply, when it comes to prayer in the lives of many believers. On one end of the spectrum, we oftentimes overcomplicate prayer, don't we? Right? We overcomplicate it. We have this mentality that, you know what, I have to be in a certain place to be able to pray, or, or it has to be a certain time. I, I can't really pray at work. I can't really pray when I'm doing other stuff. But if I'm home and if, I'm, if it's quiet, then I can pray. Or if I'm at church, then I can pray. We overcomplicate it. It, for some, it's, it's all about a posture. You may have been raised in a certain denomination or religious background where it was all about the posture. You had to be on your knees or your hands had to be folded or you had to have your head bowed and your eyes closed or whatever it may be. And you, you kind of got this whole physical posture thing going that overcomplicates prayer that, that we really just don't see prescribed in Scripture that those elements have to be there. Or maybe for you, you're one that you don't feel like you've got the language to pray. This sort of cracks me up in a way because it's so off track of what God, I think, intends. And I've been there and I've done that and uh, where I've been called on to pray out loud. And I don't call people to pray out loud because I remember for me what it was like uh, early in my Christian life. And, and I, I just didn't want any part of that. And, uh, but sometimes when, when somebody's called on to pray, it's like we take on a different language, right? And we sort of get the holy language going. And I'm guilty of that at times. I try not to be, but I'm sure if I'm with the, with the wrong group at the wrong time, right, and it's like a bunch of other pastors in there, I might try to throw out a little, you know, holy language as well. But at the end of the day, I mean, that's not what God wants. I mean, I don't want my kids coming to me, right? Any, any of the three of my kids like, oh, Father, grant me sustenance to quench mine hunger deep in my belly. I ask. You know, it's just like, just ask me for a sandwich. I mean, there's a good chance I'll go with you and I'll have one with you as well. So it's, it's not about all of that. It, we overcomplicate prayer so often, don't we? And really, at the end of the day, listen, if you're one of those that prayer just seems almost intimidating, I understand if you're not ready to pray with a group of people. There's no reason not to feel that way. The prayer's just talking to God. It's, it's what it is. It's, it's communication. It's an opportunity to deepen our relationship with Him and deepen our fellowship with Him. And yet on one end of the spectrum, we often overcomplicate prayer, right? And then on the other end of the spectrum, one of the other problems is that sometimes we, we underutilize prayer. We, we just don't take advantage of it. I, I've told this story before. Uh, when I was a kid, I was probably grade school, maybe middle school, somewhere in there. And uh, as, a, as a Christmas surprise, uh, our dad bought a pool table for our family, and uh, it was a gift from, from my mom and my dad, and um, he bought this pool table for us. The, the thing is, um, a, a small handful of you knew my dad, I guess, but my dad was a penny pincher. I mean, he, he was the, the kind of guy that he would go to the grocery store and come home with like 14 things of shampoo because it was on sale. And, uh, and usually it was the wrong shampoo, like dog shampoo or something. It's like, Dad, we can't use this. And so he was a real penny pincher. Well, he bought this pool table, and he bought it from, I think it was like a bar that had a, like a fire or something. But this thing it had like burn marks on it, and it was in terrible, terrible shape. But for us, bingo, we got a pool table. And we played this thing all the time. I remember making a little T-shirt and uh, uh, Minnesota Fats. Any of you heard of Minnesota Fats? Some of you thinking, all right, Brooks, did you have a party line when you were growing up? So he was back in the day, famous pool player. So I made myself, uh, believe it or not, I was really skinny when I was a kid. So I made myself a T-shirt, a white T-shirt, and I wrote Little Georgia Skinny. And that was my T-shirt because Minnesota fans. And I got pretty good at pool. I mean, I'll, I'll take most of you down if you want to play. And, um, 
But back then, I mean, we played all the time. We had family tournaments. We'd have like brackets and all kinds of stuff. But you know what? By the time that I moved out of the house, the pool table was still there. And you know what? Nobody played it for years. And what went from the, the, the centerpiece of our family time together, playing pool together in contests and trash talk and all this stuff that went with it, for, it went from that to being relegated to the back end of the garage where nobody ever even went to play because we knew it was always accessible. It was just always there, but we never utilized it. And for a lot of people, I'm telling you, that's the way prayer is. We know he's always there. We know he's always here. And we know we can pray anytime we want. But ironically, in some way we can't really explain, we just don't take advantage of that blessing the way we often could and the way we should. Take a look at some of these verses. We're going to get to Hebrews 4 in a second, but I just want to roll through. I don't usually throw a lot of Bible passages out in a message um, without making much comment on them just because, it's, to me, I just like to sort of focus in on one or two. Today, I just felt compelled for this message to just roll out, I don't know, six, seven, eight different passages real quickly. Take a look at just some of what the Bible says about prayer. Don't even try to turn to these because I'm not going to give you time to get to them. We're just going to roll through them quickly. Let's go to the first one in 1 John. 1 John chapter 5. And I encourage you, if you're a believer, if you've been in church for a long time, just read these like you've never heard them before. John writes, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. He's writing to Christians. He says, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence, that's a strong word, this is the confidence that we have before him, before God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. <laughs> anything according to his will. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we've asked from him. What a confidence that is. You know, a lot of people get hung up on that verse and they say, well, you know what, there's that disclaimer there. If it's, it's got to be according to his will, you know, if it's God's will, then he's going to do it. Well, here's my question and here's my response to that. Do we really want something that's not God's will? I mean, do we really want to say, all right, God, I know how you work. It's always conditional. You're only going to answer this prayer if it's your will. I mean, do we really want him to say, hey, you know what? Today's not my will Friday. I'll give you whatever you want. It's not my will. Do we really want that? No, we don't want that because his will is what's ultimately best for us. And what John says there, he says, this is your absolute confidence that when you pray, he hears you. When you pray, he listens to you. And when, whenever you ask anything according to his will, boom, he's going he's to provide that for you. And it's prayer that ultimately links our need with his provision. But he listens and he hears, guys, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been accused of not listening? You're in church. And have you ever been accused of listening but not hearing? You're still in church, right? There's a difference. Think about it this way for a second. Say you've got a, a, an eight-year-old daughter who loves to play with baby dolls, and she brings you her baby doll one day, and, uh, and in the midst of your day, she just sort of pops in. I know where she's in tears. She's upset. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do with my baby doll. Her hair is all matted, and I can't get it untangled, and it's not combing right, and, I, and she's not going to look right in this outfit that I had set out for her, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And your first temptation is to think, seriously? Right, like the, like I've got taxes coming up, and I got a work project, and I got all this stuff. Seriously, and and you're bringing this, this baby doll issue to me. But here's the thing: you don't respond that way because you're really, really good parents, right? What you think is, honey, if this is important to you, well, now it's important to me. 
and you listen. And you don't just listen to the request and the need. You hear because you love her and you care about her. You have a response that's going to be appropriate to that circumstance, to that situation, that's not only going to help remedy the circumstance, but it's going to reflect how much you value her and her relationship. And listen, what an amazing verse that is, that whenever we bring our needs to God and we pray according to His will, that He leans in and the God of heaven that created the Grand Canyon and the mountains and the seas and everything we see and the planets and the stars that are even beyond where we can reach with the greatest telescopes of today, the God who put all that into existence leans in when you say, Dear Father, and He listens listens because he loves you. He listens because what's going on in your world matters to him. And, 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 he, and he hears. He hears your heart and he hears your mind and he hears your needs. And he hears the deepest part of who you are because he loves you and he cares for you. Prayer connects all of that going on in your world with who he is. Next passage we see in addition to 1 John Chapter 5, look at what it says here in Ephesians 6. Paul is writing, it says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. It's not about being in a certain spot or a certain place or having a certain posture. He just says pray all the time. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Don't just pray for ourselves. The majority of the prayers in the Bible are, are intercessory prayers. They're prayers on behalf of another person, someone else's need. He says pray for all the saints, pray for all the other believers. Next passage, Matthew 26, Jesus is speaking, and he says, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. What's the remedy in regards to standing strong in conviction in the face of temptation? He says, watch and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Next passage, James chapter 5, verse 13. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Next passage, Psalms chapter 145, the Lord is near to all who call upon him. Have you ever felt like God is just nowhere on property when you need him the most? Number one, he is. And one of the ways that we remind ourselves is to call out to him. It's a, it's a trust. It's a dependence as we cry out to him that we trust that he's here. Even when we can't see him, even when we don't feel him, we trust that he's here because of a relationship with Christ. He is near to all who call upon him, all who call upon him in truth. Next passage in the book of Proverbs, it says the Lord is far from the wicked. He has no obligation to respond to the prayers of those who don't have a relationship with him. He's far from the wicked, but he hears. Remember, he listens, he leans in, he cares. He hears the prayer of the righteous. Next passage, Philippians chapter 4, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Last one we'll take a look at before we get to Hebrews, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So pray without ceasing. Pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. Principle I hope you'll jot down that ties this in with our series that we're looking at today is a very simple one. And uh, the principle is this, that when we look at the issue of prayer, specifically personal prayer, personal prayer is an essential element ultimately to an effective Christian life. Again, we will not have an effective, vibrant, growing, thriving, a, 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 an effective walk with God without the presence of personal prayer. Doesn't mean we have to pray like a theologian. Doesn't mean we have to pray long, flowery, fancy prayers. But it does mean that we bring our heart to God. Now, now, now here's the question. 
this may be the million dollar question. Well, well Brooks, if God is all knowing and he already knows my needs and he already knows my fears and he already knows my challenges and he already knows the victories I've had. And if he's a God who is self-sustaining, he doesn't need me to prop him up with praise. Then, then why does he want me to pray? I mean, if he already knows what's going on, and if he's already perfectly comfortable in and of himself, and he doesn't need me to boost his ego, then why do I need to pray? Why do I need to bring praises to him in the first place? Let me, let me roll this little illustration out and see if it, if it helps to understand why. Let's say for a moment that you're a parent and you've got a teenage son who has just been, just been driving for the past year or two. That teenage son comes home one night, he, he just came in from practice, or he came out from being out with his friends, and it's a school night, and uh, he, he, he rolls in, you're sitting there on the couch, and he comes in, and he, and he, and he says to you on the way by, Mom, Dad, uh, says your name, <clears throat> he says, the car got a flat, I think I ran over a nail or something, tire's flat, I'm headed to bed, goes to bed. Well, you know, he needs the car for the next day. He's got school, he's got a big test, got stuff he's got to go to. So you get off the couch, and you roll out, you dig out the jack, and you jack up that car, and you get the spare, and you take off the busted-up tire, and you put the spare on there, and you lower it back down. And the next morning, when he comes through the kitchen and he grabs a Pop-Tart on the way out the door, you say, hey, I fixed your tire last night. And he says, Cool thanks. And off he goes. No dependence, no humility, no gratitude, no fellowship, no trust. Just cool. Thanks. That's kind of the depth of our prayers a lot of times, isn't it? We take our blessings for granted. We think we're in control of life, health, finance. In reality, we're not in control of any of it. It can change in an instant. But the response often to God is just a quick, oh, this is the part of the service, I think, where we're supposed to pray. Cool, God, thanks for what all you do. Amen. We move on our merry way. Far different than if that son came into the house one night. And he's at his wit's end. And he comes to you, Mom, Dad, I, I don't know what happened. I ran over a nail or something. All I know is I heard this sound. I don't know what went on. But I hit something. I pulled up in the driveway. My tire's flat. I've got to get up early tomorrow. I've got a big exam tomorrow at school. And I've got to have this car. And I know that y'all are busy and you can't take me tomorrow. And I've got, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've, I've, got to, I've got to get this fixed. And I don't, I don't know how to fix it. I don't have the knowledge. And nobody's ever shown me. And, and Mom or Dad, could, could you please, could you just help me? And could you just come out here with me and, and see if we can get this get this fixed. I don't know what I'm going to do otherwise. And you both go out there together and you kneel down and, and you, you dig out the jack and you, and you show them how this works and you jack up that car and together you bust those lug nuts off and you back off that tire and you grab the spare out and, and he didn't even know there was a spare at that part of the trunk, right? And you put it on there and you tighten those nuts back down on that uh, and those bolts on, the, uh, uh, <clears throat> on, the, uh, on the, the spare and you lower that car down off the jack and you store everything back away and, and, and suddenly he looks to you and he says, he says, thank you. 
I, I, couldn't have, I couldn't have done this without you. And what happened in that exchange was a simply, when he came and said, I don't know what I'm going to do, can you help me? It was a demonstration of trust that you were going to help and that you cared enough to help. It was a demonstration of dependence that I can't do this myself and I don't know what else I'm going to do. And if you don't step in and help me, then I don't know where I'm going to turn. It was a demonstration of humility that I, I, I don't even know how I got in this mess. I don't even know what happened, but, but I'm turning to you, trusting that you can, can help me if you're only willing. And when it was all done, you got to hear those beautiful words. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. You bailed me out, dad. My mom, you, uh, no other mom in the universe would have done this for me. And you got out there and you got all dirty and you, you bailed me out. I, I can't believe you would do this for me. And your whole relationship changed because your relationship deepened in that moment when you brought your need in humility to the only one who could help you at that time. That's prayer. Why do we pray to a God who already knows everything? Why do we pray to a God who doesn't need our praises to feel good about himself? He's God for crying out loud. Why do, why do I need to pray about anything? He's just going to do whatever he wants because it shows our humility and it shows our dependence and it shows our faith and it shows our, 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 our demonstration of the fact that, that we are nothing in his sight and we have nowhere else to go. And when he comes through and when he provides for us, whether it's exactly what we needed or if he had something different and better, better. We get to praise him and say, God, thank you. And our relationship is different than it was before. And that's what prayer does. Which brings us to Hebrews chapter four. And you're wondering, is, is this passage going to be as long as the introduction to this message? And the answer is no. Let's just call this the beginning of the closing, and we'll be done. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews is an interesting book. We don't know who the human author is. It doesn't matter. God wrote it. But the context of Hebrews is that it's written to a group of Jewish Christians, Jewish followers of Jesus, who were kind of riding the fence. And the question for the day was, do we go back to Judaism with all of its uh, laws and formality, and do we find our rightness before God based on how well we do those things, or do we keep pushing forward with this new faith called Christianity, trusting Christ alone. And so Hebrews is a response to that. It goes to the Old Testament more than any other New Testament book. But it's here in Hebrews 4 that, that the writer of Hebrews is addressing some of that dynamic, some of that tension, but he also has a lot to say, I think, that has implications regarding prayer. So look at what it says here. Hebrews chapter 4, let's jump in in verse 14. So the writer of Hebrews writes, and he says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, this high priest would have been an intermediary connecting people with God who is holy. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, let's identify him now, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. In the Hebrews day, in the, in the, in the first century context here, it was hold fast your, your confession. Stay true to what you're doing now in response to Jesus. Don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to the way of the law. Continue forward in grace and relationship with Jesus. Hold fast your confession. He says, for we do not, let's describe this high priest Jesus now, for we do not have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. I remember thinking sometimes in my Christian life, and I heard a guy say, early on in my Christian life, I could make the comment, you know what, Jesus was 21 once. You know what, Jesus was 25 once. You know what, Jesus was 30 once. You know what, Jesus was 31 or 33 once. And then when I passed the age of 33, I had to say, well, I guess God doesn't relate to me anymore. No, I didn't say that, right? 
He understands he's walked this earth. He made you, he created you, he fashioned you from, from, from nothing. He knows you better than you know yourself. And the truth of the matter is that that high priest, Jesus Christ himself, whom you may have a relationship with if you've trusted him in faith, that is the relationship that's never gonna go away. And when you come to him with any need or any hurt or any struggle or any sorrow or any confusion, he understands And that's why the writer of Hebrews says in the next verse, verse 16, and what an amazing invitation. He says, so therefore let us draw near with confidence. Oh, but I don't know the right words to say. Draw near with confidence. It's not about the right words. Oh, but I've only been a believer for just a short time, and I can't pray like some some of the more mature Christians that I know. It's not about having the right words. It's about the attitude of the heart. Draw near with confidence. Oh, but I've had a bad week and I've made some choices that didn't honor God. You know what? If you're a follower of Jesus, no, it doesn't excuse this and we don't abuse grace, but you have grace that you're right with God, not by virtue of living a good life, but by virtue of the fact the righteousness of Jesus has already been ascribed to you. It's already been attributed to your life. So draw near with confidence, he says, to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. Man, what better three words will you find when you bow before God in prayer and come to him with a, sometimes a broken heart, sometimes a deep need. When you come before him, what three better things to find than mercy, grace, and help? And he says, so just bring it. Just bring it in confidence. Don't overcomplicate it. <laughs> We're just talking but don't underutilize it because it's part of the nuts and bolts of an effective Christian life. For some of you today, you'd have to say, you know, prayer is one of the weaker parts of my Christian life. Chances are, if that's what we say, our Christian life bears evidence of that. Prayer takes work. But when we do it, it's like that teenager with his dad or his mom kneeling down in the rain, changing that tire. It's a show of humility, independence, and faith, and gratitude, trust. And that's where deep relationship and fellowship is found. You've probably seen some videos like I have on social media where you'll see a child four or five years old in a doctor's office, never been able to hear before in their life. And because of medical advancement, technology, and the blessing of God, that little child there in the doctor's office is equipped with what's necessary to enable them to hear for the first time. And you've seen the videos, many of you have. They will blow you away to see this little four-year-old, five-year-old child sitting in that doctor's office, newly equipped with what's going to enable them to hear. And there's mom, and there's dad, and there's the doctor, and there's a nurse, and somebody's got their phone and their video and capturing all this. And you hear the doctor say, three two, one, and they flip the switch, and that little kid's whole world changes, and what if, what if we flip that switch with the God who made us and created us, and we realize in humility, God, I don't bring much, but what I got, I bring, And sometimes I feel like you probably don't want to deal with it and you're probably thinking, seriously, again? (laughs) But I know you don't because you love me and if it's important to me, it's important to you. And by faith, independence, and humility, I bring my request to you the way you invite me to. 
and I leave the results to you. That's a step towards an effective Christian life. That's a step towards a deep, abiding fellowship with God. And if you know Him, that door is wide open and the invitation is always there. And if you don't know Him, hey, the whole reason Jesus came and died and rose is so you can have that kind of access to God if you just lay down your sin and invite Him to come forgive and take over. And He'll do it. Let's pray. God, we thank You today. Thank You for the, for the open invitation to pray. Lord, it's so different than what the world sometimes sees it. Lord, it's sometimes we overcomplicate it and we fail to take advantage of that open door because we just know it's always there. And Lord, probably for many of us in this room, we would have to say that, that prayer is maybe one of the weaker elements of our Christian life. And we fully understand that if it's weak in any of our other relationships, that relationship's going to suffer. But we don't ever think about, if we don't spend time in prayer with you, that our walk with you is going to suffer as well. And so, Lord, help us to prioritize this element of the Christian life, God. And I know it may feel different for some because we don't see you and you're not right there for us to touch. But, God, it doesn't mean you're not there and it doesn't mean you don't hear and it doesn't mean you don't respond. And so, God, I pray even this week that we would take some tangible step to prioritize this. And, Lord, it may be that we vent. It may be that we bring struggle. It may be that we talk about our frustration, that we unload our worries. Or it may be that we just praise you for the God you are somewhere in between. But, God, we thank you that you do listen and that you invite us to bring our requests to you. We don't have to feel guilty about praying for ourselves. God, you tell us to because you love us. And so, Lord, I pray for us personally that this will be a stronger element of our walks. I pray for us collectively as a church family that you would deepen this, this aspect of our ministry of prayer. And, God, we thank you in advance for the, for the responses that you'll bring. And, Lord, for those today who don't know you, help them to understand that without a relationship, Lord, you have no real obligation to them. But when they find relationship with you through Jesus, laying down their sin, admitting it to you, Jesus, and inviting you to forgive them and to save them, Lord, that puts in place a relationship that will never end that you take very seriously. And so, God, for those who don't know you today, may that relationship start right where they sit when they they invite you in, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for what you'll do as we make decisions now based on what we've heard. Bless this time. And it's in Jesus' name we ask.